I know that prayer isn't easy thing to make us all feel convicted about. Uh, like anytime you talk about prayer, can, I don't know how many in here would say like, I pray enough. Anybody? Okay, so it's, it's like, it's easy to feel convicted of like, I'm not doing this enough, or you can feel inadequate about it. We can like super spiritualize prayer, thinking that prayer is just for those really spiritual people. They probably can sit cross-legged on a rock in the woods, you know, that's like, I don't know who these people are, but um, it can be intimidating. Uh, we can look in, at, at prayer as just something for other people, but not for normal people. Um, and we want to kind of say, no, it's for God's people uh, to be people of prayer. And we kind of want to tear some of those uh, intimidation down and be people who really engage in prayer. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody else pray and then you felt like super inadequate to pray after that. Like, oh, I don't want to follow that. Like, it was just so eloquent and just like they knew all the right words or quoting scripture. They remembered everybody's prayer requests. You can't even remember your own. Like, it's just an awkward thing. And you're like, oh, I just feel so inadequate to prayer. It's just this kind of intimidating thing. Or uh, have you ever wondered if prayer even works? Like, is it is it worth your time? Does prayer actually... It's probably my manly beard. Uh, you can wonder, like... God has a lot going on, and he's going to do what he's going to do. Does it even matter if I pray? And even that question might assume, uh, what does it mean to work? If prayer works, does it mean that I got what I prayed for? I prayed for this, and it happened, therefore it worked. I prayed for this, and it didn't happen, therefore it didn't work. Is that what prayer is about, just getting God to do stuff? What, what if prayer is really helpful in getting us to do stuff? Maybe stuff we couldn't do without prayer. I mean, that's really kind of where we're going today. I, I want us to think about this. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer, but you need to know that there's something deeper underneath this conversation about prayer. Prayer is not an end in itself. Like the hope in this series is not to help you be more comfortable praying. Or if you're ever called on in, in a connection group, you can pray. It's not like a party trick. It's like, oh, I can do that. We don't want you just to become better prayers just so you feel more comfortable. There's something more important underneath this kind of uh, passion to grow in our prayer life. Prayer is not an in itself. This is really about the type of relationship you experience or you don't experience with God. This is about the type of ministry we have or we don't have as a church. Now think about this. What if there is a type of ministry that we are not experiencing because of a lack of prayer? Like there are things that God has for us, things that he wants us to do and accomplish, ministry he wants to see happen around us, but it's not happening. And the reason it's not happening is because of a lack of prayer. I want us to look at a story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, Mark chapter 9. We're going to put some verses on the screen, but always encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you got a Bible, bring them. It's better if you kind of see it uh, in front of you more than just somebody pointing it out to you. So Mark chapter 9, we'll look at verse 14 through 29. And normally we kind of work through a story and pause and point some things out and work a little bit more and pause and point some things out. Today, I just want to read the whole story. And then we're going to kind of step back and make some observations uh, from this story. So this is uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. You guys ready? All right. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd. Now, I will pause here because I want to give like, who are they? Right before this, Jesus takes uh, 
Peter, James, and John uh, up to a mountain and the transfiguration happens. Now, if you have never heard of the transfiguration, it was when he took some of these disciples with him up on a mountain and kind of pulled back the curtain and revealed who he really was, kind of showed him his glory. He's floating with Moses and Elijah next to him. The voice of the Father comes down from the clouds. Peter's like, let's just set up camp here and never leave. Like, it's a big moment. They're kind of excited and they get to see who Jesus is. So they, it's referring to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they're joining the rest of the disciples. So that's the context. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him and asked him, what are you arguing about? And some of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. Now, pause here. Uh, not technically because Jesus wasn't there, but he says, I brought my son to you because he brought uh, his son to his disciples, which is an extension of him and his ministry. So I was like, I tried your program. I tried, I went to your people and extension you, but, but you'll see it didn't work out. He said, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us help and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can. If you can, now he just says it once here, but there's an exclamation mark, right? So he's kind of saying like, who are you talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? Like you're asking if I can do something. And then he says this, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Can anybody identify with that prayer request? Like I've tried everything. I brought, like we've done it all. I want to believe you're like, you're my only hope here. You're my last hope. I'll, I'll do anything. I just, I'm struggling here. And he's just kind of a raw, this is how he feels. I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, I want to point out two words in that story that really kind of got me thinking. Um, it's like, what, what do you mean by that? That's kind of like, sometimes we just read a story and we don't really like look at the words that are being said and ask questions that make us dig and find truth. But, but there's two words that should make us pause. There's a lot of words that should make us pause. There's two of them that I want to point out here at the end. It's in verse 29. He says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What do you mean this kind? How many kinds are there? 
what, what are we dealing with with this kind? Like this, this is a unique type of problem, he's saying. This, this kind. This is a demon that has been tormenting this boy since childhood. Like it's in deep. This is a, this is a long problem. It's been going around a long time. It, it's, it's violent. It, it, it tries to torture him, throw him into fire and water to destroy him, convulsing him, tormenting him. Like this, this is a deep problem here. Even Jesus kind of surveys the scene. Like when he gets thrown to the water convulsing, Jesus kind of just says, Oh, how long has this been going on? Like he's kind of asking questions of the Father. Like this is unique here. And he's looking at this kind of problem. And maybe we haven't dealt with demonic possession, but I think we're all aware of this kind of challenges. Like, you, you don't know how rebellious my kid is. Like, this, this has been going on for years. You, you don't know how my spouse and I are fighting. Like, he's got one foot out the door already. You don't know how deep, like, this conviction or this uh, addiction goes. Like, I have tried so many times to kick the habit. I can't do it. Like, this kind. Like, we're aware of this kind of problem. Like, God, if you don't do something, nothing. I've tried everything else. Can you guys identify with any this kind of problems in your life? Yeah, we, we're, we're familiar with that. But here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, this kind is above your pay grade. Step aside. He doesn't tell him that. In fact, Jesus expresses some level of frustration that they can't do this. If you go back to verse 19, it says, He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, I don't know if you want to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. It's like, I'm trying my best. Like, I'm here serving you. Like, I'm doing it. And you fail. You come up short. And he's like, faithless generation. How long do I got to bear with you? Bring him to me. Like, he's a little bit frustrated. Like the, now, I think this is encouraging, so, so bear with me here, hear me out. I think this is encouraging because what this tells us is Jesus expects his followers to do this kind of work. Like he has powerful ministry for his people to be involved with. Powerful ministry for his people to be involved with. What, if you remember this time when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, remember how that played out? Uh, the disciples noticed, hey, they, they have nothing to eat. What should we do? And he's like, you give them something to eat. That was what he said before he miraculously fed. He's like, you guys feed them. He had this expectation for them to do this. This isn't unique to even the disciples' ministry. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, he sends out the, the 12 apostles. This is verse 12 and 13. And so they went out and proclaimed and that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this kind of work is, is not new to the disciples. Like, we're doing this. But they came into this kind of trouble and they couldn't do it. Why not? Why, why were they tripping up over this? And Jesus is like, you, you should be doing this kind of work. Now, this is exciting. This is exciting. Um, but here's what's scary. The scary part is not that we're called to this type of work. Called to do real ministry, get involved with like deep problems with people and see God do powerful things. That's not the scary part. Here, here's the scary part. If, if this kind of ministry, if there is a kind of ministry that can't be done without prayer, that seems to suggest that there is a kind of ministry that can be done without prayer. And that ought to terrify us. It, here's what I mean by that. We can put on some services. 
We could do kids ministry. We can do programming. We can have a band up here. Like we, based on our own efforts and our own abilities and our own planning and our own strategies and our own talents, like we can, we could probably put on a pretty good service. But it could be void of the power of God. It, it'll never deal with this kind of stuff. Here's what I'm saying. We can easily slip into self-dependence where we start strategizing more, we start planning more, and we find ourselves praying less. And we can have this impression that we're a pretty good church. Wasn't the music good today? Wasn't the message good today? Did the kids have fun in their ministry? Do we have the right programming? Did everybody get a program? Did you see the news? Like, you could be like, oh, church went well. And it could be void of any kind of power of God. And we can kind of just go through the motions thinking everything's okay, but it's not what God has called us to. And that ought to terrify us, that we could slip into self-dependence and continue to go through the motions of church and not do the kind of ministry that God is calling us to. So how do we get involved in that kind of ministry? And the answer is clear at the end is prayer. Look at verse 29 again. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, if we want to kind of over time as we get into text together, just learn how to be good students of the Bible, words matter. What's being said matters. What's not being said matters. Like you've got to look at this. And what he's saying uh, is that... This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. He doesn't say, hey, the way that you do this is through prayer. That's true. It's not what he says. What he says is this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As in everything else you throw at this kind of problem, it's not going to do it. But we've tried this and we've tried this and I've done this. Like we've tried it all. Like like everything else that you throw at this is not going to cut it. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. Like there is a deep spiritual problem behind this kind of issue. That is the only kind that's going to address this is, is deep spiritual work flushed out in, in prayer. So here's what we can conclude by this account. A lack of prayer limited ministry. You see, like, the disciples are called to minister, they're called to do this, and they couldn't do it. And the reason they couldn't do it, according to Jesus, was prayer. A lack of ministry, or a lack of prayer, limited ministry. So here's, here's what we need to know. This is what I want us to get. Guys, there is a kind of ministry we won't experience without an active prayer life. It's plain and simple. There is a kind of ministry we won't experience without an active prayer life. There is a type of church, hear me now, there is a type of church we won't have without an active prayer life. And here's why we need to get this. Because I want us to hunger for that kind of ministry. I don't want us to be comfortable just putting on church services and doing events and filled with activity. Like I want us to hunger for God to do what only God can do among us. We don't want to just gather and have a good time. Like, God, save my kids, reach my neighbor, like, fix the marriage, break the chains of addiction. Like, we want to see God do God's stuff. And we want to hunger for that and not be a group of people that's just kind of comfortable attending and going through the motions. So we, we need to get that there is a kind of ministry that God calls us to that we will not experience without an active prayer life. Now, why do I say active prayer life and not just prayer? Because he just says prayer. Why am I saying active prayer life? Well, maybe you uh, have already noticed this, but when you look back through the story, nowhere in this text does anybody pray. And that seems to be the point. That seems to be the challenge. Hey, the reason you failed is because you didn't pray. 
But nobody prays in this account. Jesus doesn't pray. The disciples don't pray. So what is he talking about? Now, the critique could be, it could be, that when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon, they should have stopped and prayed right then. And if they would have, they would have been successful, but they didn't. And that's why the reason they weren't successful. I don't, I don't think that's the case. If that was the case, I think Jesus would have modeled that for them, if that's the point. Jesus doesn't show himself to be somebody who asks his disciples to do things he doesn't do. In fact, in John chapter 11, when uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he prays before he does that miracle. And his prayer is like to God and to the people around him that they would hear it. It's kind of a teaching moment for that. Like you would think if the moment here is like, hey, here's what you did wrong, you didn't pray. He would have said, let's pray. Let me show you, I'll pray. But he doesn't do that. Nowhere in this story does anybody pray. I think Mark's making a bigger point. And I think if you read through the Gospel of Mark up to this story, you see it. But if you just kind of jump into this story, you might miss it. Um, But here's what Mark has been showing us up until this point. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. And rising very early in the morning, he's talking about Jesus, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he what? What did he do? Is it on the screen? This is, act, this is audience participation. All right? What did he do? He prayed, right? Then you go over to chapter 6. Like he's building a case here. Verse 45. Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to what? To pray. Here's here's what we know about Jesus before we even get to this point in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has an active prayer life. Like he is praying. It's part of his rhythms of life. This is what he does. And he's the rabbi training up his disciples to do ministry. And he's saying, hey guys, if you want to learn to do ministry, you better learn how to pray. You better learn how to pray. It's it's, it's, He's saying, you got to have an active, ongoing prayer life. Guys, let me put it this way. Prayer is not just a means or a technique to deal with big problems in the moment. We need to get that. Prayer is not just a means or a technique or like a spell you cast. If you say the right words, you don't go Harry Potter on prayer. Like if you say in Jesus' name, he's got to do it. Like that's not how it works. It's not just like this technique to deal with big problems in the moment. Now, when big problems arise in the moment, pray. Yes, pray. Like last night, we got a text. One of my nephews had a a terrible bike accident, had to go to the University of Iowa hospital. We all text. We got to pray. We got to pray for this. Like we have that privilege. We can go to the Lord in prayer. We can do that in those moments. But it's not just, prayer is not just for those big moments. So you can put it this way. If you only pray when you got big problems, you got a bigger problem. You tracking with me? If you only pray when you got big problems, you got a bigger problem. Now, have you ever had some of those problems that drive you to pray? Some of those issues that just really stress you out. Like you've talked to your friends about it. You've talked to your family about it. Maybe you've sought counseling about it. You've definitely complained about it. You've read books to try to solve it. Like you've done a lot of things. And then somebody, uh, one of your friends says to you, hey, have you prayed about it? And you're just like, I don't like you right now. Like, why you got to get all spiritual? Like, just help me out, right? And it's convicting. Now, sometimes the answer to that question is, no, I haven't. And you feel bad. Most often, for us 
Christians, the answer probably is kind of. I mean, I remember in the car when I first found out, it was like, God, please help. You know, but I've spent like hours talking with people and I probably spent a few minutes praying about it. Like there's that conviction of like, this is really lopsided. Uh, it's really easy to slip into self-dependence for all of us. You can think of your problems and your situations or the things you really desire. And you'd be like, how, how often have you prayed about that? How, how often do you pray about that? And we can just slip into self-dependence. And I'm going to tell you, dependence on God, it's necessary. It's necessary. And dependence on God can be hard to learn in the midst of the problem. It can be hard to learn in the midst of the problem. It can be like trying to teach a little kid how to swim and just picking them up and throwing them in the deep end. Anybody have that, Dad? No? Just me? Okay. Now, he may, it's like you just chuck him in there and be like, kick, kick. And he may figure it out and make it to the, to the side of the pool. That's not the recommended method, right? If you're going to teach a kid how to swim, it's like take him to the shallow end, uh, teach him some strokes, get him comfortable, uh, that he knows how to float. Uh, so when the deep end comes, he can handle it, right? You don't just chuck him in there. Like the same thing with dependence on God. Like it's a rhythm in my life. I learn how to commune with God and talk to God and depend on God. So then when I am thrown in the deep end, it's not like a panic of, oh God, like where are you now? Like there's a, there's a, a built up relationship already. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, problems can make people pray that never pray. And praise God for that. Problems can also uh, drive us to be bitter. To be discouraged, to be frustrated, drive us to conflict, stress, and tension. Like throwing a kid in a deep end who's never swam before. Looking at a person who's facing a crisis who's never really prayed before. What about a different question? What about rather than have you prayed about it, but how has your prayer life been before that problem came up that's stressing you out so much? Because might you handle that kind of problem and that kind of stress better if you've already been practicing a dependence on God? So here, here's my application. I'm going to give it to you kind of on the front end here. Uh, it's, not, it's not tricky, but church, we need to be devoted to a lifestyle of prayer. We need to be devoted to a lifestyle of prayer. Like it's part of our ongoing life we have habit. Like Jesus, like we get up early and pray. We get away and we pray. Like it's part of our ongoing life. Like here, here for the next, um, what is it, like 19 or 20 days left on our, our prayer guide? Like pick up a prayer guide. Like say, okay, for the next 19 days, I'm going to follow this guide. As a church, we're going to do this together. We're going to go before the Lord together. Like show a level of devotion or commitment to prayer. And if you've never done it, start there. Pick up the prayer guide, work through it, and just say, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the next 19, 20 days committed to this. And, and here are a few connections being made in this text that I think will be helpful for us to see and hopefully motivating for us uh, in the pursuit of our own prayer. So let me just point out three, uh, three connections I think are made in this story. Number one, there's a connection here between powerless ministry and bickering. There's a connection between powerless ministry and bickering. Do you remember what is happening when Jesus... Uh, Peter, James, and John walk on the scene. What's going on? People are arguing. They're bickering. They're fighting. 
They're in this, this conflict. Now, I get it. Conflict is a part of life. Everyone is a sinner. You put sinners together, there's going to be conflict. It's going to happen. But there's this expectation or this call for Christians to have unity, um, to, to get along. And it's not happening here. Uh, you show me a church that's full of, like, bickering and arguing and fighting, and I'm going to show you a group of people that have forgotten how to pray. And they're probably not seeing the power of God amongst them. There's kind of conflict and quarrel. In fact, James, this is the book we're going to get into uh, in the fall. He addresses this. This is James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Now, on the surface, it kind of sounds like what he's saying is the reason you're quarreling so much among you is because of sinful passions and desires. And you're letting that kind of dictate and shape your relationships. And that is true. But what James says is like, let me go even beneath that. You don't just have a sin problem. you You have a prayer problem. You have an ask problem. You don't have because you're not asking. You're not praying. And even when you ask, your prayers are off. Like there's a unity problem because there's a prayer problem. And here when you see this powerless ministry happening that they were unable to, to deal with this boy's problem, what happened? Arguing, bickering, fighting, conflict. But listen, you don't have a lot of time or energy to fight with each other when you realize, as Paul put it, that our fight isn't really with flesh and blood. The conflict isn't really between us. The conflict really isn't with that person. There's a deeper conflict, or as Paul puts it, uh, the real conflict is with rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or if you take this context of of story in Mark 9, our problem is with powers that demand prayer. And if we don't have prayer, we're unmatched in these kind of conflict and power. So you don't waste time just kind of arguing when you realize what the real conflict is. Plus, you don't really feel like bickering anymore when you see God do God-sized stuff among you. And you think, why were they fighting? Why were they arguing in this text? Because they couldn't cast out the demon of the boy. Why couldn't they cast out the demon in the boy, according to Jesus? Lack of prayer. So if they don't have a lack of prayer, what happens? They cast out the demon and the boy. If they cast out the demon and the boy, what are they arguing about? Nothing. See that? Guys, a devotion to prayer will help our ministry, and our ministry, a strong ministry is going to help our unity. Like, it's, it's connected. It's connected. When there's conflict, maybe you ought to take a time out and be like, how's my prayer life? <laughs> How are their, how's their prayer life? Maybe we should pray together before we fight about this. Like, are we focused on the wrong things? And you see that happen in this story. There's also a connection between faith and prayer. Look at verse 19. He says, O faithless generation. And then you go to verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for those who believe. But then you get down to verse 29. And he says, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So you know, what's the problem? Is it a lack of faith or prayer? Yep. Which one is it? Is is the problem because we don't have enough faith or is the problem because we're not praying enough? You betcha. That's what it is. But But he says it in different ways and it helps us connect the dots. Like what does it mean to really have faith? And I think we can, we can, push back against this a little bit like because I think the conclusion is a lack of prayer is a sign of a lack of faith 
or a lack of faith is evident in a life that doesn't pray or that lacks prayer. We hear that and I think we can push back. And here, here can be the attitude. Just because I don't pray doesn't mean I don't believe. Just because I don't get up early and pray or just because I don't pray very often doesn't mean I don't believe in God. In fact, when I was a young kid, we were visiting my, my grandparents uh, and my, uh, my grandma would go to church, but my grandpa would not go to church. He was like a uh, big, gruff, navy alcoholic. And uh, we were visiting over a holiday. I don't remember if it was like Christmas Eve or Easter. We're having dinner and we're going to go to church uh, as a family after dinner. But grandpa never goes. So the adults had this brilliant idea. And by brilliant, I mean sarcastic, at least stupid. Like it was like, they said, why don't we let the grandkids ask grandpa if he'll go to church? Like what kind of grandpa would tell his grandkids no? So we're having dinner and I'm sitting across from grandpa. So I kind of muster up the courage. And I said, hey, grandpa, would you come to church with us tonight? Put on his fork. I remember this. He looked me right in the eye. Stern guy. And he said, just because I don't go to church doesn't mean I don't believe. And I was young, so I was like, okay, that's great. Let's keep eating. Let's just move on. I'm just, uh, hey, I did it, right? Now, what I wish I would have said was, yes, it does. It's exactly what it does. Now, I'm not saying you don't believe in God, Grandpa. You just don't believe he's worth your time. You just don't believe he's worth obeying. You just don't believe he's worth worshiping. So you want to come to church, Grandpa? Like, I didn't say that. It didn't play out that way. But I kind of think that's what it, it's not like... Sure, you believe God exists, but you don't believe he's worthy to worship, to attend church, to, to praise God, to obey. I think we push back on this because we have this kind of distorted view of what it really means to have faith. We, we think having faith is just kind of affirming an idea. God exists. I can affirm that idea. I have faith. But that's not what faith is in the Bible. Faith in the Bible isn't affirming an idea. Faith in the Bible is um, acting on an idea. It's come to me. Uh, eat, drink, worship, go make disciples. That's what it means to have faith, that you act on this idea. So to pray to God is to express faith. Like just praying to God is saying, I believe you're real. I believe you can hear me. I believe you can do something about what I'm talking to you about. Like you see, all of that is kind of expressed in the act of prayer. Faith in God is evident through prayer to God. They go together. Here's another connection made in this text. There's a connection made in this text between prayer and power. The disciples were unable to do something. They were unable to cast out this demon, the boy. And Jesus tells them that the way you do what you didn't have the power to do is through prayer. The way you do what you didn't have the power to do is through prayer. So if Jesus is the rabbi and he's kind of training up his apprentices to do ministry, he's telling them, hey, guys, if you want to play in the big leagues, you better learn how to pray. If you want to get in the big leagues of ministry and deal with this kind of problem, then you're going to need a prayer life. That's what he's talking about. You're, you're going to need a prayer. Like, I'm bring, have you not seen me? I get up early. I pray. I go away. I pray. I come to these problems. I deal with these kind of problems. I expect you to do this kind of ministry. If you're going to do this kind of ministry, you need to have an active prayer life. There is power in prayer. And guys, I believe in the sovereignty of God to the core of my being. I think it's all over scripture. And hear me. There are things that can't happen without prayer, that happen with prayer. You tracking with me? 
There are things that can't happen without prayer that happen with prayer. I'll give you one example, but there's a lot. Uh, We'll put the text on the screen, but let me just tell you the story. This is in Isaiah 37. Uh, Assyria is going to invade uh, Judea, and King Hezekiah is there. Uh, And there's, as you should read it, because there's a fun, a lot of trash talking going on between these countries. But basically, Hezekiah goes, he gets this word that they're going to invade, and he prays to God. He prays to God that he would prevent this from happening. And Isaiah answers, uh, God answers his prayer, but God gives the answer to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah gives word to the king of saying, because you prayed, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And what scripture tells us is it's credited to Hezekiah's prayer. He's saying Hezekiah's prayer led God to act this way. Now, do we still believe in the power of prayer? Do we still believe in the power of God, that he moves, that he acts, that our prayers matter? Listen, when it comes to our prayer requests, do we act like we think God can? Because wasn't that the thing that his dad was like, well, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? Like, do we act like we think God can and there's a chance he might? And there's a greater chance he might through our prayers? You know, an interesting uh, kind of dual example of this is you have Jonah the prophet. If you guys remember the book of Jonah, you probably remember this swallowed by the big fish, gets vomited out. Well, he goes to Nineveh to proclaim this message that in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. Well, that message gets to the king of Nineveh, pagan king, pagan city. But he says, hey, nobody eat anything. Everybody put on sackcloth and ash. Don't even let your animals eat. And everybody cry out to this God. Who knows? <laughs> He might relent, right? Who knows? He might relent. And what happens? He does. But then you have this other story in 2 Samuel uh, 12 where David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. And Nathan the prophet goes to David and says, hey, God's going to take this son. Uh, So what does David do? He prays to God. Like fast praise his servants are kind of like david is beside himself nobody bothered david like he's just mourning like praying god please spare my son well he doesn't and then the servants are even afraid to tell david that his son is dead but david figures it out and when he finds out he's dead he gets up he goes and worships the lord washes his face have something to eat and the servants like we don't get it when your son was alive like you were mourning and in prayer but then when he's dead you worship and eat like i don't get this and david says well when my son was alive there was a chance that god would spare him but he didn't he took him and someday i'll see him again but now i'm going on now you have an example where a prophet tells a pagan nation he's going to do something and they pray and he doesn't do it and then you have an example where a prophet tells king david he's going to do something and he prays and he still does it Now, the point is, whatever the outcome is, it shouldn't change our disposition to be people that go to the Lord in prayer and plead like we know he can. There's a chance he might. There's a greater chance he might if we pray. Like you kind of see this posture laid out in scripture. So guys, here's my complaint. Sometimes you complain to me. So my turn. I'm going to complain to you. Uh, And I got the microphone. This is great. I want us to pray more. As a church, I, I, I want us to pray together more. I want us to pray big prayers together. Like, we don't have to feel like we have to defend God. Like, we well, might not do it. I know he might, but he's God. He'll decide that, but we're going to go to him because he can and he might. And there's a greater chance he might if we pray. 
pray together, pray big prayers, pray in our services. Some of you guys have been around a long time. Like you remember the double tree days. We had like a lot of space in the double tree and we would take communion. You just see people group up and pray together. I know it's tighter quarters in here. You kind of get your line and you go back and sit down. I'd love to see us pray at communion together. To circle up. You're like, yeah, it's awkward. It's prayer. Like I get it, but you got it. We're called to do it. Would love to see us pray together more during communion. Pray together in our connection groups more often. Like, just don't just jump to a discussion and then kind of take some prayer requests at the end. Like, like really pray together as a church. Like, something that can be weird and, and awkward becomes normal because we really believe in God. We believe he hears us. We believe he can do something about it. And it's just kind of part of who we are. I would love for us to pray more. And I'll be the first to own this. I got so much growth needed in this area. I am such a, like, type A practical person Like, I start so many meetings forgetting to pray. Because it's just like, what do we got to do? Let's get to the next business. And guys, I'm going to just be honest with you. I hate that about myself. I hate it. And you should hate it in me too. You should not tolerate that in your leaders. In Acts 6, when, when ministry got complicated and busy and there was a food distribution problem and some people weren't getting food and they raised up the first deacons to kind of solve this problem, they did it because the apostles said, we need to get back to being devoted to what? Prayer. And the word. And in busyness of life or busyness of ministry, you can kind of like, have we lost a devotion to prayer? Where we have problems we talk about, but in all honesty, we've never really prayed about. We have worries we're concerned about, but we in actuality, we've never really prayed about it. Like, and it's not fair to say it's a complaint because it makes it sound like it doesn't happen. And I do want you guys to know in our church, we have some prayer warriors. I know of a man in Cedar Rapids who just walks the halls to pray for kids in the classrooms, to pray for people in the service, would stay all morning, pray for every service, pray for all the kids in the classrooms. Shows up on Thursday night during our salt company just to stand outside and pray the whole time. So it's not a complaint, but it is a desire. If we want to see the type of ministry, the God-sized type of ministry, we need more people like that. Maybe one of you saying, I can do that ministry. I can come and I can come a half hour early and just pray. Pray for the service, pray for the kids. Like it matters. We need more people committed to praying. My wife's grandpa, Sheffield, Iowa, prayed every day for his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, by name, every day. And you cannot tell me that that has not had a profound impact on our family. But he's dead. And I look at myself and I'm like, am I going to do that? Am I going to pray every day for my kids by name and their future spouses and their kids every day for 30, for 40 years? consistently because prayer is powerful and it does make a difference and we need faithful prayer warriors if we're going to be the type of church that sees this kind of ministry happen it's how we fight it's how we fight the real problems of rebellious teenager or a broken marriage or an addiction they aren't solved by easy kids check-in or smooth transition in worship, or a full band. That, that kind of work, that kind of ministry, 
It calls for people to be dependent on God in prayer. So here's what I want you to remember. A people of prayer experience a God of power. A people of prayer experience a God of power. Now think about it. What kind of ministry does God have for us on the other side of being a church committed to prayer? What kind of stuff would he do? What kind of uh, chains would he break? Who, who would he save? You'd be like, I never thought that person would be here worshiping God. And you see him in love with Jesus. God does stuff like that. That kind of ministry t- depicts a dependence on God. And you can tell who's dependent on God by who's active in prayer. I don't care what you say. You can tell who's dependent on God by who's active in prayer. Now, before we close, I don't want us to miss what actually happened in this text. And what actually happened in this text. The boy was healed. That nobody else could solve that problem. That he's tried everything since childhood. They could not get, the, you know, they could not get beyond this. And Jesus heals the boy. Guys, look, look at me here. We're about ready to close, but I want you to know this. That person that you think is so far gone, Jesus can save them. That addiction that runs so deep, Jesus can provide freedom. That marriage that you think is lost, Jesus can heal it. He can. And he might. And there's a greater chance he might through our prayers. Would it be a church that believes that and is committed to be a praying people?